if you would bow with me before we get started. Father, we are grateful that we are here and that we are able to, um, to consider the wonder of knowing you. Lord, I praise you for just today that the softness of the worship time as a reminder of how you come to us often. And I just pray that you would give us just great insight today as we sit before your word. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we have been studying uh, the book of Revelation and we concluded it last week. And if you're new here, uh, we generally study through books of the Bible and we will start in chapter one and go to the end. And so we spent 30 weeks uh, or so in the book of Revelation And today, we're going to go back and just kind of think through the big overarching uh, theme, if you will, at some level, and then also kind of uh, move through it uh, fairly quickly and just think through what was going on, what is taking place. Hopefully, that will help you uh, as we do that. Now, so it'd be good to go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation and be prepared to kind of move through it as we do. But as we start, I was just going to tell you... um, Anna Cree came over to visit our boys on Thursday afternoon and uh, then to stay for dinner. And our boys really treasure the time that she has with them. She puts a lot of energy in them and invests in them. And part of even like as this church is, is kind of designed, we wanted it to be more like uh, where it was a family. And so just like it's almost like the picture of extended family come over and they visit us. And, and uh, that's one of the things that we were able to do. Also, Erica and Liam came over for dinner, and so kind of had a group there. It was, it was neat. But we were discussing traveling, and I know some people love to travel, some maybe don't as much, but uh, Ann and I, we were talking to, uh, about uh, Andrew was in Ecuador, um, and so he, he had been traveling, and so we were just kind of talking about the different things, traveling in different places and stuff. And Anna Gibson brought up that she loves, or would love to go, I guess you would say, to Hawaii at some point. And Anna Cree, of course, has been there. And so that opened up a discussion. And I say, Anna Cree, uh, what did you do while you were there? And she listed out a few things. And then she said, uh, I also ran a race. And I was thinking, vacation and races, like those two don't go together. I had a buddy tell me this week, he was like, I, told, I was telling him this story. And he said, man, if I have to walk across the street to get a cab, like I'm upset, you know, like on a vacation. And so uh, she uh, talks about running this race, and, and I guess they ran up this mountain. But anyway, she said on mile nine, again, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like a foot race out in the sand and then just kind of sitting for it. But anyway, on mile nine, I began to get a migraine. And she said she kept going, you know, and like finished the race or whatever. Anyway, later, William was having trouble um, eating his green beans, And so I thought this will be a time like to think about uh, mental toughness and persevering when we don't want to do something. And so I started talking to him and and I kind of whispered over there, if you don't eat your green beans, you and I will be visiting in your room and it will be painful to you and you, you don't want that. But if you do, you get to eat dessert with all the family. And so I gave him this warning, and I gave him the promise of blessing if he kind of persevered. And I was trying to help him grow in 
like I said, not only mental toughness, but how to maneuver forward, uh, you know, throughout life's different struggles that we face. And uh, I asked uh, Anna Cree, I was like, how do you have that kind of mental toughness to press on uh, when all that's going on? And she said, have you met my mom? That's all she said. I was like, okay, you, you have that kind of mom. But anyway, I had listened to a podcast not long ago about a man who, you know, I don't know if you know, there are some crazy people out there that run 100-mile races. Did you know that? There are people who actually do that. I met a guy one time that did that, like he would run like this 100-mile race. But generally, when you run that kind of race, you run it as a team kind of. It's oftentimes how people would run it. Anyway, the guy was talking about getting up at the starting line, and there's all the little teams are there, and then there's this guy who's like, uh, he's by himself. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, and he's going to run it by himself. He's a really big guy. And so they take off running. Towards the end of the race, every small bone in this guy's feet were broken, and his kidneys were shutting down, and he finished the race. Anyway, after that happened, he said, I wanted to get around this guy. And so this podcast, uh, this person on the podcast had this guy move in with him for 30 days to help him like grow up and not be a wimp anymore, kind of, you know. So I, I was thinking about that. And I tell you both of those things to say everyone is running after something. Some people are really lazy physically, but very vigorous mentally right? Some people like run real hard, like I said, physically in sports, that kind of stuff, and get migraines on their vacation, like the Cree family, which Austin's representing. But other people, like they, they, they run, uh, like I said, a very, like a mental kind of thing where they might just read voraciously and, and, and do that kind of thing. Some people, there, there's a long list of things that people are running after, And I think it's something that we have to stop and consider all the time. What are we running for? I mean, that is the big question I think the Revelation answers. Why are you running? What is the ultimate goal of your running? What are you pursuing after? What's the reward in front of you? What are the dangers along that journey? What, What are you running for? Some people don't even know the answer to that question. Some people don't even ask the question. You you know? But the revelation kind of forces you to address it. Now, we'll stop there just for a moment, and I want to talk to you about what you could be running after. And just think for a minute. And and I've I've, I've told you these before. I've heard them from different people, but... They're basically what I've heard of as four heart idols that, that kind of drive people. One is comfort. The second one is control. The third is power. The fourth is acceptance. Got those? Comfort, control, power, acceptance. They say those are the kind of the basic heart idols and really become the, the, the reason a lot of people run. And... Um, so let's just think about the idea of running just on a physical level. Why do people run hard on a physical level? Some people might say, it makes me feel better. Comfort. 
Some might say it helps me keep my weight down, control. Some say because I love to win, power. Others say because I want the approval of my parents or friends, acceptance. You say, I don't run. I say, you do. But what you're running after, I don't know. And why you run, I don't know. But I think it's important for you to answer that because as a Christian, the most important thing for us to do is to consider what we are running after and whether or not it is glorifying God, serving other people. Is it for the right thing? And that's kind of, again, what the revelation, I think, is dealing with. I'm going to use one more example just for fun, okay? You might say, I really love to read. Why do you like to read? I like to escape comfort. Because while reading, everything is stable. Nothing changes. The story stays the same because it's already written. Control. I like to get information so that I can like have something to say in conversation. And be can like be able to almost like always win an argument power I may read because I just want to be found interesting acceptance see you can, I just want you to leave that because when you could go you could say why am I getting this degree why am I starting this company why am I working here why am I building this house why do I want this kind of car right And all along the way, you have to consider what you're running after. Now, Philippians chapter 3. And I promise you, we're going to kind of relate this all to the Revelation, but I've got to set that up for you to begin to think about what's taking place. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of, of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is their their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. We are to run the race to the glory of God, turning away from the wrong objects of worship, And turning to the one who created, sustains, and saves us. The revelation will make Christ more glorious and sin more heinous than you'd ever dared imagine. So I think this morning you have to ask, what does the race look like for you, for this church, and where we're going? 
maybe even say, how do I encourage others in the race set before me? God, I think, gave John the revelation to do that. He gave you the revelation to do that. To encourage one another in running the race to the glory of God and the good of others. Now, one last thing. And I think, man, I think it's so important. I don't think, the revelation certainly is very black and white, but I think it's important to always keep two things in mind. And this is just something I've been thinking about for years, helps me kind of, whenever I think about what I'm doing in this life, I don't think that I say, okay, so that means we should have church every night, be doing Bible studies every night, and that's all we do is do Bible studies and then uh, maybe go out and, 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 and tell our families about Jesus. And that's, that's it. That's all that, that we are to do in this whole world is just have Bible studies and then go tell people. That's certainly a, a part of what we are doing. That's help, doing the study, worshiping, doing all these things. These help us in the race. They keep, they keep us focused on, on the most important things. But, but at the same time, I think it's important to say that God desires to use His people and He's gifted them in so many different ways with so many different skills so that they go out and have almost like a platform for sharing the gospel, a platform for helping grow and build this world and bless people in the world. So some people are going to be in all different kinds of of, of activities. Some are going to be entrepreneurial type people. Some are going to be in the medical field. Some are going to be in the education field. Some are going to be in, in, and you could just make a long list in the manufacturing field. And all of that is going on. And you're saying God is uh, using his people in all different aspects of our culture to help bless people and, and, and to strengthen this place. But we have to realize that this is temporary. We're looking for the, towards the future and make sure that we keep our eyes on the ultimate goal of knowing the Lord and being with him and so that will mean I think that as we're looking at this there is this aspect of like every day you go to work that's not a waste of time every day that you become more skilled in that and bless more people in that and strengthen yourself in that that's not a waste of time it's a good thing it's a God glorifying task when you do it rightly to understand I want to glorify God and bless other people all throughout the rest of my life. And so I think the revelation is not saying run from the world. I think the revelation is saying run into the world. Run into the world and glorify God and bless people as you do that. And then keep coming back again. I think there's a lot of emphasis on worship there. We keep gathering as, our, as people and we keep running back in. And we go out into the world and we, like I said, we bless people and it gives us a platform to ultimately bless them I think, with the gospel. So I, I, I think as you look at the Revelation, it's much like the way you would look at the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel is working hard in this present age. He certainly, it's almost like forced labor, but he is managing multiple things. And some days are easier than others. 
Sometimes it's very costly for him. Sometimes it seems like he's in a place of prominence. But wherever he finds himself, he wants to glorify God and bless other people. He lives with that focus in mind, with a vision to God, looking towards the future, awaiting the day where he will be with the Lord. And as he awaits that day, he wants to be a faithful servant, a faithful witness in this world. And I really think that's what the revelation helps us do. So we're going to work through that and kind of move forward. Okay? Now, the revelation speaks to us, and I just want you, you can see this real quick, um, and, and I think you'll see it in multiple different places, but it, it speaks to us as a letter. In 1 verse 4, John to the seven churches, that is a common greeting. So it's a letter, it's a letter written to churches, real churches, real first century churches, real churches that should be able to understand what is being taught in the revelation. Okay? It was an unveiling. And so we see that first. I think it's just saying it is a letter. It is a prophetic book. And we talked about that where prophecy is speaking, not just foretelling, but forthtelling. It's addressing issues. It's calling you to a decision. And you see that at the very outset where he said, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. It has a prophetic voice that you are to respond to it. And you see that in Revelation 2 and 3, but you see that all along the way. It's not something for the future necessarily, just looking out there, but rather for the present that transforms me right now. It's also apocalyptic. The Revelation is going to speak in images and in ways where you're just like, I don't even know like how to even read that for sure. There's going to be times where you're going to be scratching your head because you're like, I don't know about that, but we talked about how the first century church was used to that type of literature, and like most of the time when you're reading the Bible, you're going to say this, I'm going to take everything literal, unless it's kind of forcing me to, to think of it as figurative, and in the Revelation, you turn that around, and you say, I'm going to read figuratively unless it forces me to read very literally, in my opinion. Because it is apocalyptic literature, and that is the strongest emphasis in the Revelation. But all along the way, whether it is apocalyptic literature or not, it is written to encourage you to stand firm to the very end. So the major theme of the Revelation, one person says, is this. Revelation unveils the unseen spiritual war in which the church is engaged, the cosmic Conflict between God and his Christ on the one hand and Satan and his evil allies, both demonic and human, on the other. In this conflict, Jesus the Lamb has already won the decisive victory through his sacrificial death, but his church continues to be assaulted by the dragon in its death throes through persecution, false teaching, and the allure of material affluence and cultural approval. By revealing the spiritual realities lying behind the church's trials and temptations during the time between Christ's first and second coming, and by dramatically affirming the certainty of Christ's triumph in the new heaven and the new earth, the visions granted to John both warn the church and fortify it to endure suffering and to stay pure from the defiling enticements of the present world order. All of that said, that, that this revelation is revealing Christ as victorious, 
but we have, understand that we're living between the first and second coming, and so the church is still under this war. There's still an assault on the church, and it's saying, listen, you're living in this present age. There are a lot of difficulties, but know this, victory has been won. It will be finally shown to be won, and in the future there is stored up for you great eternal blessing. And I, I think we have to keep reminding ourselves of that, reminding ourselves of that, reminding ourselves. Now, as we outline the Revelation just for a couple minutes, I want you to see a few things here. Okay? Now, let's start. We say in chapter 1, and we say, what, what, what do we see? Chapter 1 begins with an intro, and then at the end of chapter 1, you see a vision of Christ in all of His glory. You see Him as a resurrected Lord of the universe and the Lord of His church. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus speaks very prophetically, very forthtelling-like to His church, and He speaks to them about the issues that they are experiencing. And what you see is there are both promises and warnings to the church. That's so important. How do they persevere? What, what helps you persevere? When you read the Bible as it's been given to us, you will see over and over promises for obedience, trust, faith, walking with the Lord, and a curse for disobedience and rebellion. And it's kind of laid out there very clearly for us. And so two and three have that picture going on. Now, there are three general ways that the church, I mean, I guess you could say three uh, difficulties that they face. One is an all-out physical attack. Very practical, very, very practical to people all over the world right now that are meeting in churches secretly due to the fact that physically they might be attacked. There are people being martyred all over the world for the gospel. Uh, that's something that we see not only in the first century, but in the 21st century. Another thing that happens to the church is false teaching creeps in. There's always that throughout the New Testament. John's not saying what anybody else is saying. He's saying the same thing. False teaching comes in and it will try to, to, to confuse you. There's always going to be that. And so the church has to be a pillar in the support of the truth. That means that the word has to be central to what we're doing. Third, enticement of the world which uh, led to tolerance and what was that they, they were really trying to be popular with the world and the church does that today it's struggling with that you'll go places where if you sit down with the pastors there and you say what are you trying to do we say we are trying to be popular with the world that's what they'll say they will say what we're trying to do is attract people and we are going to use whatever means necessary to attract them. We want the world to like us. So the church is buying into those things and it leads to destruction and destructive tendencies that will bring about the curse. And Jesus really speaks of him coming to them in the present and facing them in the present because of their sin. And so we're just saying right now, what happens in the revelation is Jesus at each one of these letters, he'll start revealing something about himself, promise them that he's going to talk about who he is. He's going to lay out for them what they're doing right, then what they're doing wrong. And then he's going to promise them blessings for obedience, blessings for an obedient faith. That's kind of what goes on in chapters two and three. 
You go to chapters 4 and 5, you get to see a throne. And what you see is you get another vision of heaven and you see uh, God reigning on His throne. It's a glorious vision. And when you see that, that, that vision, you realize that 11 times in that one chapter, throne is mentioned and we see that God is sovereign over all. So that when the church is facing all these enemies from the front and the back, the church says, wait, God reigns on the throne. He is there now. He is reigning. There's nothing to fear. He is in charge of the universe. But that's just the setting for chapter 5. And you get to chapter 5 and you say, John is looking at the situation and he sees the one on the throne holding this scroll in his hand. And he begins to weep and he's thinking, no one's worthy to open the scroll. And the scroll is really what really unleashes um, God's ultimate, uh, really, judgment on the world and salvation of his people. Some people call it the scroll of destiny. And John is crying out and says, no one is worthy. And then all of a sudden, this lion, this, uh, this lion who really is a lamb portrayed here, he shows up as one who has been slain, and he comes forward to the throne. And he is worthy, the only one worthy. And I think it's always important for us to say this, like for people that think that somehow that they will be worthy enough to enter into God's presence, to experience eternal life, they're foolish. Jesus is the only one worthy to come into his presence. He is perfect in every way. He died on the cross for our sins. So he comes forward and he is worthy to come and, and, and take from the hand of the one who sits on the throne this scroll. And then what happens? You get to chapter 6. And really, chapters 6 through 16 are, are, are a, a series of judgments. Jesus begins to cut the seals. Seal after seal after seal. And begin to enact the plan that, that, that God has for rescuing his people through judgment. And you see that on display. And what happens is, really, each time these series of judgments come to a close, there's a storm. So you could really say in chapters 4 and 5, we have a throne and the Lamb. In chapters 6 through 16, a storm. A storm of judgment. And what you have is these series of judgments. You have seven bowls, seven trumpets, seven... Um, it, it, it goes seven, seven, seven. So, so you have seven... I can't even say it here. Uh, you have seven, uh, come on, somebody help me, seals, thank you. And you have seven trumpets and then you have seven bowls. And each time as you're watching this unfold, they increase in intensity. And what happens is you will see that those present, some of those judgments are happening even now. We're living in these times where the judgment of God is falling on humanity. But it's leading up to a time where there'll be a final judgment. God uses these times of difficulty. And some of you might say, even in your own life, you've watched it or you've watched television enough or YouTube enough to see that you'll see present judgments hitting over and over and over. Now, here's the thing. There's an ultimate judgment coming. And again, these will be revealed as you move through these. So we're almost repeating over and over. There's a cycle and these judgments are falling. Now, along the way, the church might say, well, good night. So we're living in this period of, of this time of judgment and it's going to ultimately escalate into this great trouble. What are, are we secure? I mean, are we, are we sure that we can be secure? 
Well, what happens is in these series of judgments, there will be little breaks called interludes. And you'll see those in chapter 7, chapter 10, and then in chapter, uh, you might say in chapter 14. And there'll be little breaks. And you know what God will say? Watching over my church. He's not saying that they won't face trouble. We find out that there are people martyred in the Revelation. He's not saying that we won't have trouble. He's saying, I am going to keep you to the very end. I have sealed you. I've marked you out. I've written your name in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb owns it. The Lamb died for His people. The Lamb, He is the one who secured the names in there. He's watching over them. He shows the numbers where they're marked out individually. There's almost this picture over and over in your mind that God says, I am for you. I will keep you regardless of what there might happen or what might face in this present age. I am with you. I care for you. I love you. All of this is about me helping uh, for my own glory. I am saving a people for myself and they will not be lost. It's what you see. So the revelation begins. Introduction. A vision of Christ. Christ speaks to real churches. John then is taken up to heaven. He finds out that there is really one reigning on the throne, regardless of what he sees in the chaos in this present age. The one reigning on the throne is holding this scroll, you might say, of destiny. No one's worthy to open it but Jesus Jesus comes in, He takes the scroll, the eternal Son of God who became man, He takes that. It is His inheritance for what all He has accomplished. He takes it, He begins to break the seals, and judgment falls. Boom, 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 boom. As judgment falls, you see that the church does not escape a lot of those troubles. They will escape it on a final level, but they do not escape all of the trouble that we find ourselves in. And yet... What we see is along the way, the the Lord will stop and say, hold on just a second. You want to know you're secure? You're secure. You're secure. You're secure. You're secure. And so it's helping us. It's building in us some security. You're seeing in the midst of all the trouble, in the midst of the warnings of judgment that are falling some, that have fallen some, that will come, God is still promising His people a future. And He's saying, stay to the end. Stay to the end. Stay to the end. He's setting you up. It's almost like saying, look, boys, uh, I, I watched one of the w- war movies not too long ago um, where I think it was, uh, um, uh, we were soldiers maybe. And I remember him like speaking, Mel Gibson was speaking to the men and he says, uh, I, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I'm going to take you in there and some of you will not come out alive, but I promise I won't leave anyone. You know, and he kind of lays all this stuff out. And, and the reality is it's almost like that. It's almost like the Lord Jesus is speaking to his people. He's revealing himself and he is revealing what's going to take place. And he says, listen, some of you are going to die, but guess what? You're secure. Death has no power over you. You're secure, so you're set free to go and be my witnesses and do that to the glory of God in every aspect and in every arena of human society and culture. You go out, be set free. You do not have to hide. You don't have to build you a little bunker. You don't have to go buy some land together and build a whole place where you can be insulated from the world. Go, go, go. 
Be my witnesses because it's okay. Yes, trouble's coming. Yes, people are going to die. Yes, suffering's a part of this age. Yes, 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 all those difficulties are there, but you are secure. I'm not just going to bring you out in a body bag. I'm going to resurrect you. I'm going to hold you and keep you. To it, you're, This is only, this light and momentary trouble has nothing to compare to the glory that's going to be in the end. So you just, you, you can trust in that. In the revelation. So we're watching all of that unfold. In 6 through 16. There are even times that you actually begin to get like a vision of the actual enemy. You see the dragon, Satan, seeking to destroy the church. And you see the, the false prophet. And, and, and you see... Um, the Antichrist kind of figure, and you see all of them trying to destroy the church, but all along the way, God's saying, I have you, I'm keeping you, I'm watching over you, I'll protect you. And so we see that on display, and then we get to chapter 17 through 22. And you might title this, The Harlot, the King, and His Bride. The Harlot, we see, is Babylon. It is this world system made up of sinful humanity in rebellion against God, seeking to destroy God's people. It is everywhere. It is not once, it's transhistorical. It's presented as a city, but it's not one city, it's all cities, kind of. And we, the church, are this little city within the big city. But you just have to know, like, Babylon is there. And it seeks to destroy. And there's many different ways that the world system does it. There's one aspect where you say she's so beautiful. But at the same time, you say she's so evil. But ultimately, Babylon will fall. And so it's almost like saying, hey, here's the warning. If you run with this present age and you treasure it and you love it and you trust in it, know that it is going to pass away and you will be on the wrong side of history but what you see the king and his kingdom it will last forever he will be victorious over it all there is nothing that he will uh, he is afraid of he is the reigning supreme king of the universe he holds it together and he will judge all wickedness and he will punish all evil and he will set up his king kingdom forever not only that he will prepare his bride for a place he is going to make her beautiful you see that throughout these 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 end chapters and he does make her beautiful and then he brings her to a new heavens and a new earth sometimes i think in our lives and i man i do this and you probably have done this you think Man, you know, I always think about like a bucket list, and I think that's not a bad thing on some level. But, you know, it, it has some value, and, and, and it, at the same time, you kind of have to say, whatever you dream of in this life, whatever you're hoping in in this life, whatever you think would get you to a place where you'd be satisfied in this life, and you, and you look towards, and you, and you work after, and you pursue do you really think it will compare to eternity? I mean, do you really? I mean, it's hard for me to, but like, do you really think if God is preparing a place for us, his people, 
And it's a, it's a new heavens and a new earth. Do you think it's going to be better than this one? Better than anything you could imagine? Better than any sight that you could ever see? Better than anything you could ever taste? Better than any... I mean, don't you believe it's better? That, that, that it's of supreme value and worth? And so don't tie yourself to trying to, to, to make yourself so much better in the present. Because you have a future with the Lord. And so we have to be really careful. I do think we have to strive to do well to the glory of God in this life. We should work hard at that. But know this, that this is not really what we are pursuing. We are seeking a city. And a a, a country, you might say, a place. That so transcends anything this present age has to offer. So why is the revelation given to us? To help us persevere. What are the means that it uses? Promises and warnings. Warnings for walking off, going your own way. Promises of blessing for those who stay on the narrow road. I don't know which spot you're in right now. The revelation may be something that needs to sober you. And some of you, the revelation needs to comfort you. But wherever you are, you probably are in need of that all the time. You may be asking yourself, I think as you go away, what dangers do you presently face? What ways are you enticed? And how do you prepare? How do you prepare to run the race to the very end? Are you growing in in mental toughness? Jude says... We must build ourselves on our most holy faith. We must pray in the Holy Spirit. And we must wait anxiously for the Lord's return. Are you doing that? Are you growing in that way? Are you running after those things as much as you are running after the things that are fading away? We have to constantly be considering ourselves where we are, how we must prepare, because we have a great... Many of us have a lot longer journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book. We pray that it would actually be so practical to us that we would be reminded of the wonder of knowing you, that it would drive us to worship you, to see you as a greater treasure than all the treasures of this age and to live for you. And I just pray, Lord, that whatever place we find ourselves in, Uh, There are many different ways in which you use your people in this present world. I pray we would do those with all of our might to your glory and honor for the good of others around us, and primarily the church, secondarily for, for the world. And I just pray that we would seek first your kingdom and trust that you're going to bring about your plan in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.